0: Hello. In 1966, Time magazine published an article called The Futurists Looking Towards 2000. It included a group of experts, men it has to be said, who predicted the future of work. And they claimed that by the year 2000, machines would be doing everything for us and no one would really need to work at all. Well, they got that wrong, but there's no doubt that technology, particularly artificial intelligence, is rapidly changing the workplace. And the recent lockdown has given us a glimpse of what the future might look like. Will working from home be a permanent thing? How big a role do we want technology and data to play? How much time will we spend working in the future? What role trade unions in all of this? And how will manual labour change, if at all? With me to discuss this are David Collings, Professor of Human Resource Management at Dublin City University, Alma McCarthy, Professor of Public Sector Management at NUI Galway, and on the line, Kevin Murphy, Organisational Psychologist and former Professor of Work and Employment Studies at the University of Of Limerick. You're all very welcome. David, I wanted to start with you. Uh, You know, your pre COVID research was looking at how organizations were training workers to meet their future needs. And I wonder what needs in that other world we lived in before coronavirus hit us, what needs were you identifying?
1: Yeah, it's funny. So we did a a big study uh, towards the back end of last year. Uh, It was funded by Skillnet and and the Irish Institute of Training and Development. Uh, And what we saw in organisations was a recognition that work was changing, a recognition that they would need to adapt and jobs would need to evolve, but actually very little focus on reskilling and upskilling. And the reason for that was because they were so focused on keeping the lights on and, and so busy in terms of enabling people to do their jobs today that they were struggling to look to the future. But some organisations that were thinking about this more strategically were mapping job changes over the next number of years. And one insurance company, for example, had identified about 15% of jobs that they reckoned were liable to be totally... um, uh, outdated by technology in the next five to 10 years. But, but some 50% of jobs would be augmented by technology in some, some kind of way. So what they were predicting was that technology would come to play uh, in terms of doing some of the more menial work, if you want to use that term, or the more standardised work in the organisation. And they were on a journey to try and upskill and reskill their employees to bring more technology into their own skill set, and to have higher-level analytical skills so they could use the data and, and, and the like that was being created by technology.
0: And just in, you know, briefly, was homeworking uh, mentioned back then at all?
1: No, it wouldn't have been hugely on the agenda. I, th- I think for most organisations, there was a general level of scepticism around homeworking and a worry that, a lack of trust for some in their, in, of their employees. There were some organisations of course that were more comfortable with homeworking and were well placed when the transition happened but I think they were probably the exception rather than the rule.
0: And Alma then bringing us into this new reality obviously of, of, of Covid, you did a big national survey on remote working in response to Covid, you had 8,000 people responding. Uh, what did you find So the Whitaker Institute at NUI Galway and the Western Development Commission
2: um, did that survey at the end of April and uh, early May. And it was really with the objective of seeing how people were responding to a very drastic change in in how we work um, and where we work. there's some really interesting uh, findings um, that did surprise us. Uh, um, 83% of those who responded uh, want to continue working remotely for some or all of the time when the crisis is over. And um, of the 8,000 respondents, over half had never worked remotely at all before. So it's it's a huge percentage that have had no experience because some people have experience depending on the role they're in. Um, so I suppose looking forward, it, it will be very interesting to see how organizations will respond. So, in the uh, I see it as the worst possible um, a, a sort of experiment and case of working remotely because uh, for a lot of people who have care responsibilities, be it childcare or, or elder care, the, the normal supports of school and childcare and creches or whatever supports you have are absent. So, and there was no time to strategically plan how people would work remotely. So, we were thr- thrust into it uh, because of government mandate and, and rightly so. Um, but even in that work, Worst case scenario, we see, um, you know, 83% saying I'd like to work remotely for summer all the time. And of that, 42% want to work uh, remotely several times a week and uh, 29% want to do it several times a month. So I think the employees are starting to speak out, those who can work remotely. I mean, we're looking here at those who have maybe... Um, the op- the opportunity a lot of roles Indeed, don't yeah. lend themselves to working remotely. Um, but now, I mean, down the road, the the, the question is how employers, how uh, managers, leaders will respond to that, and will the pendulum swing back to the way things were?
0: Kevin, I just wonder when we think about the future of work and take I don't know twenty fifty if you like, you know, has the virus spread sped up trends that were already there, or has it put us on a completely new course?
3: I think it's done both. Uh, there are uh, there are long-standing trends in terms of, of changing nature of work and the changes of jobs, and I think the virus uh, put all that into overdrive, so that we've seen uh, uh, things change very quickly. The thing that's that's interesting about this is because it all happened very quickly and all at the same time. It's forced organizations to think, and not only organizations but employees to think much more carefully about what it is they want people to do at work, how do you evaluate, how do you supervise, how do you uh, make sense of people's contributions? And I think there's, there's a real possibility that many people will come to the conclusion that much of what we do during our normal work day is just a tremendous waste of time. Um, and that if we if we we could be much more productive working at home intermittently and that, that in fact, going to the office for eight hours has is, is been a bad use of everyone's time. So,
0: so you know, essentially, you know, you can get, I don't know, say two or three hours of really good productive work done in a nine to five job and the rest of the time you're having coffee. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds familiar to me. And if you're going to have
3: coffee, you might as well have good coffee at home. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: I wonder, David, you know, when we look at measuring productivity, I mean, one of the ways it's to, to coat on the back of the chair and, and pe- the boss knows you're there. But when you're working from home, how do you do that? And and how do you do that in a way that doesn't invade on people's privacy?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a real balance. And, and I think the first thing is that, that managers need to trust their employees at home because that was one of the reasons managers were so often reluctant to let people work at home. And certainly in the short term, I think it's really important to to be conscious of the changes that people have had to make in a very short period of time. I think it's it's unlikely for many of us that we'll have the same level of productivity working from home than we did just before we moved at home as we adjusted the new routines of working at home and all of those kind of things. So so I think we, we need to provide a new toolkit to managers uh, in terms of how they go about managing those employees on a remote basis, how they think about what goals will look like, how they think about what measure, measurement will look like. And obviously, there's such a range of jobs and um, those answers will, will be quite different for, for different jobs and different types of work.
0: And we Already they have you know apps that track keystrokes, uh, remotely monitoring screens. and I just wonder also the sort of legal aspect of this and, and whether the law is going to have to catch up with that, particularly when it comes to data and privacy.
1: Yeah, I I think the whole the whole ethics, privacy, uh, security, and transparency around data are big questions for 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 all organisations as as we move into a more virtual world. And again, likely to be amplified with COVID. So we've seen a lot of debate over in recent months over uh, contact tracing apps and the like, where where our phones will be telling uh, our employers or the government where we've been and who we've been with. Uh, and and you know, there's a lot of a lot of serious considerations towards towards those. Data. That, that have to be weighed up and taken very seriously.
0: And Alma, it's important here to make the obvious point, which is that everyone able to work from home and that in itself uh, it was a privilege because, of course, there's a awful lot of people who had no choice but to go into work, especially during the lockdown. You know, they would have experienced it differently. I mean, people, some people are lucky to live in a, a nice house with a garden. Other people live in apartments, share apartments. And, you know, there's single parents with children. There's huge disadvantage inbuilt there. How do companies uh, level that off. It's a ver- very good point. Um, from our study, we found that
2: you know the actual physical workspace and um, work environment um, in the wor- in the home was a real challenge for people who didn't have the larger houses. So um, and, and the space where they could have you know have a, a quiet place to work. Um, and some people had were working at the end of a, uh, their bed trying to you know balance laptops and whatnot. So that is a real challenge. Um, is is if people can have the actual physical space in their home to, to enable them to work remotely. Um, yes, I suppose there is There's a big question about uh, those who can um, access uh, remote working um, and those who can't. And I suppose it comes back to a lot of sort of broader equality issues um, that we see in the workplace with some people who have, you know, they, they are able to to work remotely. They've continued for their salaries not to be impacted and others are not as fortunate. Um, I suppose, so. at a broader level, if th- there's bigger societal benefits um, and, you know, the key things that came out as real positives were around, you know, environmental benefits around reduced commuting, traffic, all of these things um, where if people can work remotely, even if it's two or three days a week, the benefits for everybody, even those who are, have to go to work, um, if we can take all that traffic off the M50, where people are needlessly going for some days and some period of time, um, if there was a huge movement in that way, you could actually see a lot of very positive impacts, I think.
0: Kevin, just to bring you in there, I just wonder, is there any evidence w- you know, when it comes to working from home that there that then becomes a tipping point, so the positives outweigh the negatives or the negatives outweigh the positives, as the case may be, in terms of people's experience experiences of, of, of working from, from where they live?
3: Well, I think the evidence is, is emerging, but it's ambiguous. Uh, Alma talked earlier about surveys where uh, a lot of people say they want to continue to do this. And I think that that's an important piece of data. I think that we don't know, but uh, I wanted to, to uh, loop back to something that David had talked about just a few moments ago, because I think this is one of the un- unanticipated uh, outcomes of all this. The job of a manager is going to change fundamentally if it exists at all. Uh, I think you know one of the things that organizations are going to start asking themselves is, why do we have all these managers? Uh, back in the day when everyone was at the office, the job of the manager was to coordinate and to make sure people were being productive. And that's all going elsewhere. And so I think, I think one of the big changes is going to be in the structure of organizations. So we are... Uh, grossly overmanaged. There are too many administrators uh, everywhere, every organization I know of. Uh, and and I think that, that the entire way that we structure work, uh, the way that we monitor, even the question of whether we should monitor is, do we care how many keystrokes you put in? Or do we care at the end of the week how many uh, uh, particular goals have been met. Uh, so we move and, and from that time management.
0: We move from yeah. time management towards you know did you do the project or not at the end of the day. Absolutely. If it took you three hours or four days, it doesn't make any difference to me.
3: Sure, and you know it's 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 the sort of model we're all academics on this panel, and that's very much the model we work on for much of what we do. Um, at the end of the year, tell me what you've accomplished, and and as long as the. List of accomplishments looks pretty good year to year. That's fine. And we and and I'm not going to ask you how many hours a day you spent doing it. That's going to bleed down to more of the organization.
0: David, I want to talk a little bit and get into technology. Uh, and, you know, I suppose there's been a long trend uh, in technology making workers irrelevant and even thinking about something more recent in our lives, which is the idea of a small bookshop in a village versus an Amazon warehouse and the idea of, you know, in the future robots selecting books, uh, drones instead of post workers delivering them. Uh, you know, can you talk a little bit about technology, particularly artificial intelligence, and where you think the biggest change is going to be?
1: Mm. Yeah, it's really interesting. Actually, I saw some data recently that was pre-COVID, but but Amazon have um, hired in inverted commas, fifty-five thousand picking robots in their in their sites across the globe over the last number of years. So that gives a sense of the scale of of the work that's been done by 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 technology in an organisation like Amazon um, and I think it's really interesting to think about that small local bookshop versus Amazon it's again that bookshop can offer something that Amazon can not so we will see some of those survive and we will see the, that that Part of the market, but it's certainly a niche part. In terms of technology, for sure, yeah, we're seeing huge changes in terms of how work is done in organisations. Mo- most predictions are about twenty percent of jobs are uh, at risk from technology, so would be completely uh, 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 replaced by technology. Interestingly, in the medium ter- in the medium term, so within the next decade, some data predict that they will be mid skill jobs. So the low skill jobs are relatively safe in the short term because the cost of the technology to replace those people um, is still over the, the, the value you would get by introducing technology if we use that language.
0: So where you have a cheap workforce, so let's take the meat industry, meat workers, Exactly. the incentive to roboticize that industry is low because it's cheaper just to
1: have the workers there do the work. Exactly, yeah. And, and, and we see a lot of those workers are, are, are migrant workers, for example. Um, and again, you know, we've seen it in fruit picking picking in recent months here as well. So while the local market can provide those workers, those organisations are just tapping into a global talent pool uh, or labour pool. And it'd be really interesting to see the short-term impact, at least, of of COVID on those types of options where suddenly it's not so easy to move people across borders. It's not so easy um, to, to kind of have the safety valve of bringing people in from abroad. So in the short term, there could be some kind of implications there. But, but right now, it's still cheaper to do that than 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 um, bring technology in to replace them.
0: And Kevin, I just wonder a little bit about artificial intelligence because you know you obviously have this sort of artificial narrow intelligence, which are the likes of you know algorithms that you know they're very much part of our lives now uh, but artificial general intelligence, which is you are talking about the replacement of human beings, you know you're building a computer that can do everything and possibly better than a human. And I wonder, you know what's ahead of us when it comes to AI? and what kind of jobs do you think may be obsolete?
3: Well, I I would agree with what David said, that the, the mid-skilled jobs, but I think even uh, uh, things that we would have thought of as high-level professional jobs are going to be under serious threat. Uh, you think about accountants, lawyers, uh, a lot of what they do can be and is being automated uh, and, and I think that, that you're going to see uh, those professions uh, change dramatically, that, that, that there's going to be fewer because the routine work is, is something that's just not worth hiring a professional to do. So I, I think you're going to see more and more of that. I do think that uh, managers are, are going to be replaced by artificial intelligence in many, many instances, especially if people are working remotely. The nature of what they, they've been asked to do is, is something that's very amenable to artificial intelligence, so that that will change. The other thing, this is not a technology change, but it's an interesting, I would see it as a political change. Um, Think about the sort of workers that have been talked about and valued the most in the last six months. It hasn't been CEOs or hedge fund managers, it's been been people working in the trenches. So I think that there may be some political rethinking about Who's valuable? Who's important? Who contributes? And that will have a bearing on things like compensation. Uh, on on you know, should we be thinking of executives as being so important and so worth worth so much money? And, and I and I do believe we're at a point where we might see some very very big ch- big changes near nearer to the top of organizations than most people would think.
0: Alma, um, I wonder you know how all of these shifts so far that we've spoken about are going to change you know, the, the the movement of people in rural areas uh, and, and urban areas, you know, are, are we going to see what people are talking about now, which is sort of a move to the country? Is it going to change the way and where we live? I suppose it depends on... Um if organisations
2: can offer, you know, good career prospects for somebody in in the likes of Bell Mullet in County Mayo versus um, South County Dublin, and the work of the Western Development Commission and um, is is focused on that from a, I suppose, a, a more balanced regional development perspective, um, and that that's going to be the test of whether um, that changes or not. So at the moment, it is very difficult for um, quite rural areas to off, to be able to offer um, the sort of high end um, and good career jobs for many. For many roles, um, but now we see that w- when we've been forced into this uh, remote working and working from home context, um, maybe it is going to open up the opportunity that once you have good broadband co- connectivity, and I suppose this is where the national broadband plan and things like that become very important, um, is that it it, it is very doable now and organisations have seen that you know the trust issues that Dave mentioned um, we, we've we been forced to move beyond some of the older notions of keeping people at work to, to see that they're physically at work means they're productive which is actually a fallacy um, and the need to look at sort of task-based outputs and that where you do that um, you know someone said to me once that work isn't um, it shouldn't be a place you go it should be a thing that you do and that where you do it doesn't matter it's, it's what you actually do and the quality of what you deliver that matters matters. So um, there is a movement along with the Western Development Commission for example um, in, in investing in regional hubs and hub sharing places to try and um, provide sort of um, spaces for people to work where they don't have good broadband and yet they, do, that they would be more local to where they live. So that would help with um, moving away from urbanisation. So I suppose there's lots of opportunities. It, it does come down to what employees want to continue doing. Our survey indicates that There will be a demand there uh, for virtual working. Um, The question then is whether organisations and managers will, will change. And as Kevin has said there, there is a mindset changed as well around how we actually manage people. Um, and that needs to happen.
0: I wonder just picking up there on what Kevin was saying, uh, David, you know, looking at at now at manual labour, you know, I mean, these these are the jobs that really we, we, we don't, the uh, low paid, not necessarily valued, hugely valued during the lockdown. Um, and I wonder, you know, what is the future for the kind of manual work that we've seen for meat factory workers, supermarket workers, Amazon workers? You know, you know, you said that really it doesn't pay yet to to uh, bring robotics into their into their yeah. workplace. But do you anticipate that that's going to change? And do you think that in in some ways the future for them is going to be actually that they are going to be pushed out by technology?
1: Yeah, I I think for sure at some stage there will be a tipping point. I, I think interestingly, there's some re- research that looks at those people in low skill jobs and they tend to move when they move jobs into jobs that are also at risk from automation. So if I'm doing a job that becomes automated, the risk is I'll move, you know, just a step that into another job that's just a little bit further behind. But again, even, you know, we talk about the the kind of accelerating effect of, of COVID. Um, look at hotels as an example. Uh, look at hotels now offering things like uh, digital check-in, keyless check-in. Um, you know, that's going to reduce the necessity for receptionists in hotels in, in the immediate term, like in the next couple in, in weeks right now. Um, you know, we look at some of the technology around, you know, cleanliness in, in hotel rooms and hospitals. You know, it's quite likely that there's going to be robotics and technology involved in that. Um,
0: I would have also thought in things like sports officials and referees. Are ripe for technology.
1: Well, believe it or not, I, I was in a former life. I was an international basketball referee, so I've had some experience in that space. But again, we see, you know, we see regularly that the technology gets it wrong. And part of the allure of sport is that kind of th- that tension that comes with those difficult decisions and 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 the human element of it. So, so yes, I think technology will continue to play a role, but but there's certainly no indications that it will completely take over that because it's not just uh, officiating is not as simple as making a decision whether a ball crossed the line or not it's also controlling the players it's also you know um all of those subtle um people management skills that come for a referee you can't do that with technology so so yes it can help a referee in the role but 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 That as a role, I think it's all the other stuff is a huge part of it. It's the people management that really determine the great referees. A lot of the judgment stuff is relatively straightforward in some sports. It's actually the people management that separates the best from the rest in in things like officiating.
0: Kevin, what about the future of what is considered to be controversial, the gig economy? So so the idea of work being outsourced, subcontractors being used, agencies used, uh, short-term contracts... And, and, you know, all this kind of thing. I mean, where do you see that going? Because I, I did read that there are estimates that the gig economy is going to grow to around point seven trillion trillion by 2025. And that actually the future is in that kind of short term contract work.
3: I think that there's there already is. And I think there's going to be an accelerating uh, legal and regulatory pushback. Gig economy. Uh, I, I I I usually talk about this as precarious work. Uh, turns out to be extraordinarily bad for almost everyone except the employer, and and I think that you're seeing more and more countries understanding uh, how how much difficulty gig workers actually encounter. Uh, that it's very difficult to to make a living the the level of stress is extraordinarily high and that this is this is fundamentally abusive of workers so I I do think that that there's going to be the continuing uh, push for employers to do gig employment when they can but i do think you're going to see more and more legal and regulatory pushback because uh, it's it's made people more aware of what gig employ employment actually entails, what sort of uh, um, financial support it provides for you, and what, what sort of uncertainty it introduces into your life. And I see this as, as something that's, that's simply not going to be allowable in the future. In, in many countries
0: and Alma, you know we know there 's about two hundred thousand people in Ireland who were gig workers last year what what 's their future? I mean do you think it is a case as Kevin is intimating that the law is going to catch up and actually do what California did last September when it passed the law to reclassify people to, who work in the gig economy as employees, and that therefore that future is going to be somewhat stifled for companies who 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 see their opportunity there. Yeah, Kevin raises fundamental issues, I suppose, around uh, security
2: and, and the quality and terms of employment um, being potentially uh, reduced in a gig context. Um, I, I guess it will be dependent on, on employee uh, or how much em, uh, employees want to work in, in this contract, um, that contract space. And if there's a lot of if employees are willing to do it and, and if governments
0: and employers are able to do it, then that will obviously dictate dictate the uptake. Finally, Kevin, I just want to end with you. Um, You know, I wonder with regards to our time and how we all think about the time we spend working. You mentioned in the beginning the idea that look, what matters is that you've done the work and if it takes you a small amount of time, so be it. You know, in the future, do you think that this idea or ideal of some of a three to four day week is possible uh, without hitting productivity too much? Or do you think that the potential is actually that work is going to be so interwoven in, in our in our daily life, in our in our home life, and sort of technology means that work will seep in everywhere, and we just won't be able to get away from it?
3: I think it's going to be a mix of of, of two things: that uh, that setting the boundaries between work and non-work is much harder when working from home, and and so I think you will see that seepage. On the other hand, I think that people will. The studies that I've seen say, say that uh, people can be much more productive in, in, if we remove some of the things in a work environment that, that destroy productivity, uh, meetings, um, interruptions uh, from colleagues. Uh, and so I think there is, there is a possibility of saying we might spend less time working, but we'll also have a harder time figuring out when it is we're working and when we're not working. And, and when work uh, can be shut off entirely and when it can't. And so I think there are going to be those, those challenges. But I think the net is likely to be fewer hours exclusively devoted to work, uh, but more hours where work is part of what you're doing while you're doing other things.
0: Well, we have run out of time, unfortunately, but it's a really interesting glimpse into the future of work. Uh, So thank you all very much. David Collings, Dublin City University, Alma McCarthy, NUI Galway, and Kevin Murphy, University of Limerick. Thank you.